Hello and welcome to episode nine. We're at Inside Tour Pod on social. They're swearing throughout this series and make sure you've subscribed to get the whole story start to finish over 10 episodes. But for now, we're heading back to 1997 and the Lions Day of Destiny. Enjoy. It was the second test. Everything on the line. Biggest game of our lives. Inside the tour. 28th of June, 1997, five o'clock kickoff. The intensity was amazing. The inside story. Just the build up to it and everything, it was just unreal. Told by those who were there. They were 1 0 down. We were going into Kings Park, Durban, 80,000 people there. It was amazing. It was just frightening, actually. It was frightening. Hello, this is John Bentley. We're on the 1997 British United Lions tour of South Africa. And living the dream. Match 11 of a 13-match tour. The second test between world champion South Africa and the British and Irish Lions. This is it. The Lions, after a long, hard season, won't have much left to give after this. They're 1-0 ahead in the three-match series. To finish the job, it surely has to be here. It was a massive week. Jain, I think, had pulled a groin or something in the first test. Keach came and spoke to me and said that I was playing on the Saturday. So there was a lot of attention there and on the beach with the big snake around my neck down on, in, in Durban. Uh, on the first two occasions, we stayed at Umschlanger Rocks, which was the best hotel in Durban. Which, rightly so, for the home team, in preparation for the test, the Springboks stayed there. But we were down on like a... We were in a high block, a nice hotel, but it was full of all the supporters. You know, back in Umschlanger Rocks, there were no supporters there, and there was just us. And uh, don't get me wrong... And they were so excited with the sports. A lot of them had got booked flights as a result of the win on the previous Saturday. But, you know, in the lift or going into reception or going for somebody to... It be, everything was rugby, 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 rugby. You know, and it was... And you understand what I And they were all so excited and understandably. Yet, your focus had to be about playing on Saturday. It could be too much sometimes. You need to get away from that. Uh, and it was difficult, was the preparation for that second test. Kings Park, Durban. Known for its noise, a four-tiered image of intimidation. The Springboks won their semi-final here two years ago, the World Cup soon to be theirs. Those players, those memories, this place, this will not be easy. Kings Park at Durban is an amazing ground. Um, there's a kind of open at the end. So you walk in, I remember walking into that ground before the game, you walk in along the side of the field, on the inside of the field from, from the, and it just, it's quite sheer and it's quite amazing. So that was fantastic. I'm Keith Wood. I'm Scott Gibbs. This is Inside the Tour with the Lions in 1997. The atmosphere in the changing room before the second test, I remember lots of noise. You know, the key subjects, the captain for sure, choice words from Woody and, and Jason Leonard and, and Laura Salalio. That's the kind of boost and the adrenaline creator that gets you into this pre-kickoff mode. Clear instruction, 
know what you expect in the next 80 minutes. And as you walk out... Running out was just unreal. It was just, you know, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. It was just absolutely insane. I knew Jenkins, starting fullback. Um, I always remember turning and then seeing South Africa run out. I've never seen a side run out like that before. I was literally like, thinking, I thought they were going to run through the stand the other side. I thought that's how hard they were running out and that's how much they wanted this game. And <laughs> it was incredible, really. I was always thinking, wow, I think it's, it's going to be a test match today, that's for sure. When we got to our position on the left-hand side of the field there, I think that really shook a lot of players, in- including myself. And I could see players drifting. And myself included, I, I, you get lo- you got lost in the occasion. It was literally kind of starstruck in that environment, and we were minutes before the kickoff. You know, we obviously had we were a very good side ourselves, and they'd lost the first test. Probably underestimated us. There's no doubt in that. Um, there's no doubt in that. Um, and obviously that that them running out and I was thinking straight away, thinking, well, yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough day today. Jono said a few words again and I could see that people's eyes were glazing over and getting... I just felt that they were, were losing concentration, losing concentration. So I kind of came in in the middle and I, I said a few words that I felt that I needed to say that, you know, you know players' body language and you can see in their eyes, are they in this moment? Are they ready to go? Or, you know, do they need more time? And I didn't want to be one of those... Five minutes later, behind our post saying, I told you so. So I had to get something off my chest. And that's where, you know, you see me actively vocal in the middle of that huddle saying we need to raise the intensity. Scotty would be, even though he's so ferocious on the field and, you know, busy and energetic. I'm Matt Dawson. He had this really educated calmness, but slightly close to psychotic calmness that he he could get the best out of people with what what he would say he would have a a really good sense as to where where you are and where you need to be it was a, it was a real talent you know we need to find it we need to find it now there is no time for delay you know if we thought that the intensity was good last week we need to raise it another level and another level cuz they're going to come at us relentlessly and then when the game started, it was just a million miles an hour. It was just insane. They were so good. They were so good. I'd never been in a test arena that was so loud. And it was intimidating. And we were clinging on to hang in there, really, at times. Boy, it was intimidating. You could look at the expanse of the crowd and the noise that was reverberating through your body. It was a wave after wave after wave of relentless South African attack. We just hung in there. We can't second guess ourselves. We've got to get stuck right back in. We talked about it, Jim and I talked about it to the players that they would come back with, with real venom because it would be the series gone if they lost it. The management team of McGeekin and Telfer. And, and the first half, we're almost afraid of playing for a while, Jim, but, but partly I think it was just the avalanche of rugby that came at us. Hugh van der Vestesen always knew, you know, at some point he would want to be 
controlling the game because that's what he did. And we'd kept him quiet in the first test. And we targeted the two halfbacks. And he, you know, they came out the first time. I think we're probably still winning at halftime, just one score or whatever. But the actual physicality and, and the intent from them was incredible. I, don't, I think we were talking up in the stand when Jim wasn't talking to the Afrikaners behind us that, you know, we just had to stay in the game. To be quite honest, I think the young props, Paul Wallace and Tom froze in that game, froze in the early part of the game. And I remember I was conscious that the team talk of telling them, look, you have to forget about last week. You have to put in the back of your mind, this is a completely different game. They'll be a lot tougher. And they then got a real shock. And we struggled, I mean, to, to hold the, the, the spring box. And we gave some soft points away. One of which was my fault. Uh, Tate would probably take the blame for the other one. Uh, the other one was we were caught napping when you stand the best season, score at the base of the rook. Mine was a missed tackle on Joubert in the corner. And actually to go and stand to, stand in front of 80,000 people, but alongside your own teammates under that, while they have a shot at goal, it's not always the best place to be stood, actually. Um, it be quite embarrassing, really. Thankfully, they couldn't kick their goals. They had the arrogance, dare I say, to go into that series without a recognised goal kicker. Because Henry Honourable was doing the kicking, and he missed everything, and Percy Montgomery missed everything. And then they were picking Johnny De Beer for the third test, if you recall, and he kicked everything. The resilience of the players was, was incredible when you think about some of the pressure they played under and, and just the things they got right. Neil Jenkins that day, I mean... Jenks would just stick up, step up and, and put the ball through the post. It's almost like the message that if the rest of the team can stay on the field and keep competitive, he's going to put points on the board. It might not be tries, but actually there'll be some reflection of the rugby. I mean, was it five penalties that Neil got? Uh, yeah, I mean, five Neil, penalties. Neil deserves great credit for what he did because he's metronomic, or he was metronomic in his goal-kicking in such a, a lazy sort of simple style of kicking. Neil and I had, had, had had the privilege of playing rugby together for different districts, so up against each other and playing with each other, for each other, uh, on the same team since we were probably eight years of age. So his talents and application and dedication to the game were familiar to me, that there is no doubt. To ask a player of his magnitude to play out of position in such a dislocation from 10 to 15 is, was enormous. But he took it in his stride. His overall success rate is there for us all to, to see and to cherish. After now, I'd, I'd be back in Kaivadra, um, where I come from in Church Village. Um, that was a pitch that I always practiced on. That was a pitch I always trained on as a young kid and kicking goals for fun. So that would probably be more often than not where I would put myself. I would never be in Newlands. I would never be in Kings Park, Kings Park in Durban. I was never there. I was always in this place where I always call, you know, my home really is because that's where it is in Kaivadra and Church Village where you'd be kicking goals for fun, no pressure, no crowd. And that's what I'd always envisage myself, really. It was never really in where I was. Um, not the amount of people that were watching on TV. Um, the people that actually in the ground, the importance of the kick. Because, um, um, you know, probably if I did think that, well, I know one place I probably wouldn't have been there, if I'm honest. I'd have probably been a crumbling wreck. I thought he did a phenomenal job. 
if you could isolate his actual play at the back of the field. So his, the analytics of his own performance as a 15 was just near perfect. You know, his defence, his absorption of pressure, his creation of territory was just phenomenal in that sense, and let alone his ability to slot the uprights. He wasn't an actual fullback. He was in there mainly for his goal kicker, and so he kept us in the game. I still think that's the finest kicking performance I think I've ever experienced because it it was it wasn't one kick, it was five. None of them were easy. Had he missed one of them, the result would have been different and history would have been different. And and that's why we'd We'll talk, we're back in selection, Jim. We've talked long and hard about what we're losing in rugby front, but we needed to convert our rugby into mm-hmm. points. And the only one who could do that and almost guarantee was Neil Jenkins. And that day, that goal-kicking performance was just unbelievable. It just... Selection is key. Selection yes. is key. Yes. If you get the selection right and you have the you know, the backbone to stick with the selection and they get it right. And I think that was, uh, I mean, Neil could have played standoff, but he, he, we wanted Gregor at standoff as an attacking force. And yeah. so, but Neil never complained, he just got on with it. He's yeah. such a great rugby player and such yeah. a great bloke. Yeah. But we just, we just hung in there. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The Collision. A moving object striking another, often at speed, sometimes dented pride. I mean, the significance of it. Scott Gibbs, marauding from the Lions midfield. There was a a game changer. Huge springbok, Oz Durant, left prone and dazed. This was a major blow. Collision for the ages. The collision, the collateral, the indelible image of the second half. Scotty Gibbs gave, I mean, he was, he was just immense. When Gibbs, he runs over Oz Durant, that, that is no surprise to me, I can assure you. His, his frame and his stature is incredible. He's so strong, so agile, so quick. Yeah, we all knew Scotty Gibbs was uh, a great, but he epitomised the Lions. I picked the biggest guy. It was like running into a side of a mountain. I didn't feel a thing. I knew that impact had dented their own enthusiasm. Because he was on the floor, he was winded, he sounded like a pregnant cow, and this kind of moo type of noise was coming out of his gills. So this was a major blow.
you know, I ran into him in a very robust and low trajectory that kind of spun me out of him, which enabled us to keep the ball alive. And then I offloaded to Jeremy Davidson, which we were kind of then, then clearly over the advantage line, trying to create quick ball, which been a signature of the Lions doing that tour is the ability to speed up the play of the ball, that we could get width on it and, and really rely on our outside backs to, to do their business. But it, it brought us back into the centre of the game, the midline of the game, where we ultimately were successful. I think what it does, doesn't it, when something like that happens, it, it gives probably the, the, the team a lift anyway, showing that, you know, these guys are human. You know, you run hard, you run straight, you be direct with a, probably a little bit of agility that's needed as well, that, um, you know, they're no different to anyone else at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, Gibbsy doing that, putting us on the front foot, buying us another penalty. Nowadays, there'd be hooping and hollering and everyone would be high-fiving and hugging. And we all did that, but within, our, within ourselves, it all gave us that amazing lift. The key moment for me was the body language of Gary Teichman, their captain. After that incident, everybody looked to him for inspiration or direction and I could see his shoulders drop I could see his head drop and then I thought this was a major blow this was a major blow that we should capitalize on let's keep the pressure let's maintain the field position and let's squeeze this win out I I had a small chuckle um, myself for sure but uh, I think others who were there and in the periphery enjoyed it as much as I did Scott Gibbs was tremendous that game as well, defensively, and just how he held everything together. I mean, Tim Robber always talked about Gibbs. He was the only back he ever listened to, I think, in his rugby career, because he said, I knew if I didn't do the right thing, Gibbs would be down my throat again. And he was leading by example, because he was telling the South Africans what, what to expect as well from him. During that second test, I found that Jerry used to tug my jersey from time to time just to kind of calm me down. I think calm me down is probably the wrong word because I was trash talking at the time and I was, you know, I was encouraging the South African back row to run at me, which effect meant, you know, run at Jerry as well. So he was kind of saying, for God's sake, Gibbs, stop winding them up. Can't he just wind it in a little? Um, and of course, that only, that only gave me more energy. To, to incite this uh, kind of type of level of trash talking. All, all very fun, no, nothing personal, but it was the invite and, this, and the reverse psychology from my own perspective is that when you invite someone to run to you, they kind of have to think twice. And in that moment, then you've, you've, you've reclaimed, you know, your position. Everything was 100%. If you're going out the piss, absolutely, Scotty Gibbs is firing from the front and he's going to get pissed, more pissed than anybody else, and he's going to drag you down with him and have a great, great night. If you're going to do fitness, he is going to go till he absolutely pukes everywhere. If he's going to run into tackle shields, there is no half measures. It is full bore from the off. Inside the tour. And then all of a sudden, we were at 15 apiece, weren't we? So intense, so tight. Geach and Jim Telfer up in the stand. They could hardly watch. At 15 all, I'd, I would never felt confident in that time, but we were more in the game. It's been nip and tuck for 79 minutes, and you just get to get a score. Well, the scores have gone from one to the other. There was that intensity. It was always going to be close. 
the lead up to Jerry's drop goal was players just being in the game to do the right thing, right person, right place, right time, doing the right thing. Neil Back came on and he won a crucial turnover at halfway on the halfway line. Keith Wood kicked it down at the 22, chased it, and there was a line out. Gregor's run up the line. He took the ball in, didn't he? He, he did. He took the ball yeah. in, and the ball Gregor came out. carried it, big. He yes. carried it, yes. And then the pass from Matt Dawson to Jerry for the drop yeah. ball was just players in complete unison mm. doing different things. I mean, when the drop goal went over, that is the longest four minutes of my rugby career, I think, without a doubt, because you knew they'd come back and they'd, what you then want is, is to end up with a draw. Uh, that was my biggest concern, that it'd end up 18-all and then we're going to have to do it in a third test. I was very conscious that the Springboks would come back as very hard. 18-15 in the minutes after were crucial. We knew that if, once we got the drop goal, it was three points with a kick-off. They were kicking off to us. We were going to be in our own 22. Jim and I both thought Neil Jenkins, what's he kick the ball out in the full, you know, South Africa's scrum in front of our post. And of course, game over. But he'd asked, you asked the referee, what's going to happen if he kicks it out on full? And that's a level of coolness under pressure. We happened to be ahead when the final whistle went, and that was just enough. From thinking, oh crikey, you're going to another South African scrum, it was game over, and Test Series won. It certainly was the highlight of my coaching career, and it changed me completely. I'm Scott Gibbs. I'm Matt Dawson. My name's John Bentley. This is Austin Healy. I'm Neil Jenkins. I'm Jeremy Guscott. I'm Keith Wood. We're on the Lions Tour 1997. There was a rock down near the uh, 22 and, and the ball is there and I see it and it comes out and I kick it. And I kick it because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, I, I've never subscribed to the idea that you have to have it two digits on your back to kick a ball. I liked an old hoof when I got the chance, you know, and and I kicked it down the field, but it was only a few minutes to go in the game. And there's a realisation when those things happen that, Jesus, I have to run after it now. And I sprint after it. And Joubert just kicks the ball into touch because I'm kind of closing down on him. If he had picked up the ball, I would have fallen over. As it was, I fell over anyway, because I got that far and that was it. I couldn't go a lot further. But if he'd held the ball and stepped, I, I wouldn't have been able to adjust to him. I don't think I would have. So there was that on one side. What I'm proud of in that is not the kick and not the chase. Uh, I'm proud of an accurate throw. And um, because under pressure, under fatigue, uh, to get the throw right, and of course, I've helped day in, day out by Jeremy Davidson on that uh, tour. He plucked every dead duck I threw at him. He he was awesome in the line-out. So I'm proud of that. There's one other piece of that that gets totally overlooked is that when uh, Tim Radbert um, goes to hit the ruck, uh, one of the players swings and hits him and cuts him under the eye. 
I think he got four or five stitches under the eye, but it was a proper bang. And he didn't react. Now, if somebody hits you off the ball, your gut instinct is to react. And he didn't react. And he actually hit the ruck and we won that ruck for the pass that went out to Gus got to go over. That gets overlooked all the time. That was amazing. Out of all of the mayhem, I could hear Jerry screaming for the ball. Yeah, Dorse was at the bottom of the, uh, you know, there's a good nine at the ruck there. I can hear him shouting, you know, whatever he's shouting, Dorse, Dorse, Dorse. Yeah, but it's his voice. And he read the game so probably the best, one of the best readers of the game that I ever played with. I'd shifted into into 10 somehow. It's just just the way it all went. I'm not sure I passed the ball to Jerry Guscott in any moment on the tour where he was the first receiver. Whereas he's gone, right, everything else, get out of the way. The drop goal is the right plan. Greg is out of position, give me the ball. It's an easy drop goal for me. You know, it, he would not waste his effort calling for the ball for a drop goal if it wasn't on. He just wouldn't do it. And so I think instinctively, when I heard Jerry's voice... And the ball came to me and... When he gets excited about doing stuff, you know it often comes off. And it kicked and he went over. Bob's your uncle, it was a sweet strike and sailing through the posts it went. Thank you very much. Uh, quickly get back. We still got three minutes to go. Do you know what a crazy moment that was? You're turning back, but a few people are coming over to flip and congratulate you. Gibbsy jumped on me, gave me a kiss. I certainly found a sack of win when I chased down the field to, to jump into Jerry's arms to tell him that I loved him. I high-fired Jerry and said you should have passed that because there was loads of space on the inside. Bullshit, aren't they? <laughs> Absolute bullshit, Austin Healy. But Jerry being Jerry, he wasn't really thinking about many other people at that stage. I certainly didn't hear him, and if I did, I'm not going to pass him the ball anyway. He, he wouldn't have been able to do it. <laughs> I mean, obviously, there was a part of me, when I let go of the pass, I was like, oh, I mean, can anybody drop the goal other than Jerry Guscott? That'd be really good. You know, I know that he reveled in, in that, and another guy who was very calm and collected and measured under pressure, so I think it was fitting that Jerry really closed out that test series. Why did it have to be Gus Scott? Because we're not going to hear the end of this forever. Boys would take the piss out of me and say, Gus Scott was there, go and get everybody back, otherwise my moment's lost. You literally, I just... It, it, it went through. South Africa are going to take a quick... They're going to go. And they want us, you know, they, they scored, what, three tries, I think, in that game. Um, you know, if you're them, you think you deserve to win. That last three minutes was pretty heavy. I think there was quite a long period of time, wasn't there? I think there was about five minutes of play still to go. And I think Joubert made a break at the left-hand side. They came back, they recycled, and then they put a bomb up on Jenkins and he dropped it. I dived on it. I got the absolute living crap kicked out of me. Jenkins, he drop-kicked it out on the full, which you could then. And then I think there was a line-out. And we were kind of confused whether you could as well. I mean, it's quite funny when you think about it. 
That was the game over. Honeyball knocked it on. And all of a sudden, we'd, we'd won. And there is that doubt again, whether that is the real final whistle or not. It was just carnage. But we got there. From what I can remember, it's a bit sketchy. You don't really know what's happening, do you? I think I jumped on John out. who sort of just went, whoa, whoa, we've won. I was kind of happy it was over. I mean, it was hard to win. That was the thing. I certainly don't understand the magnitude of what you'd achieved. But it was a relief that the game was over. They gave us the opportunity to win the game. and We did. Still celebrating that. It's just, it's never ending. We walked back out the way we came in. So that's, that's kind of interesting. And I don't know, there's different times. We mingled with all the South African fans. They were having a huge braai. So they all tailgate their cars. There's a huge couple of fields beside Durban and they all park in there and they all have their, their braai, their barbecue on the back. Um, and we went and had a couple of beers with random fans and walked and chat and it was it was amazing. And just to the side of that's TJ's Tuxedo Junction. There was a lot of fun though. There was, I mean, that was just, it was a joyous evening. Then there was quite a large party. I remember ordering... 24 steak sandwiches. Um, just random order, I think, more than anything else. We seem to have steak everywhere. Um, and settled down to watch Tyson against Hollyfield. And of course, that was the fight that Tyson bit Hollyfield's ear. No one was in the rooms. He just went to the team room, he picked up a slab of beer or whatever else was there and went down to the beach and just carried on there. I know that Jerry and myself headed off to, to a special little bar that we'd been to previously. We were joined by Stuart Barnes and, and some of the other Sky executives for a kind of gentle easing into the night. I remember being on the beach with Scott Gibbs at uh, half six the following morning. Scotty Gibbs came back into the room and grabbed his duvet off his bed, like woke me up and was like, right, come on, doors, let's go. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, come on, we're on the beach. And I looked at him and he had the duvet in one hand and a crate of castle lager under the other. And he was wearing, you know, wearing just his sort of pants. Yeah, there was no other clothing or anything like that. I went back up to my room. Tom Smith was in my, I was sharing with Tom. I said, come on, Tom, we'll go for a swim. Uh, with Neil back, went down for a swim. Uh, on the beach, I brought a couple of bottles of champagne down, a couple of um, six-packs. I remember going with him and we were huddled under this bed throw or duvet from the hotel room, sitting on the beach, drinking Castle Lager. And most of the guys were sat on the beach outside the hotel in the morning, just watching the waves, drinking beers, chatting. We all fell asleep on the beach. All our champagne was robbed. We never drank any of it. Yeah, I mean, it was magic. Magic. I mean, I haven't got, I don't think we've got, you know, we didn't have cameras and all that sort of stuff, so we didn't really have any photos of it, but, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It, it was big, but it was quite chilled as well towards the end. A very poignant moment was shared with, with not only Austin, um, but Rob Wainwright, uh, Mark Davis, our physio, um, I'm sure Paul Wallace wasn't far away. It was that realization and a new day had dawned. The sun was coming up 
on the beach in Durban. We had a cold beer in our hands and we were instructed to be on the bus by 9am at the very latest. Uh, and that for me was just the greatest closing of the best six, seven weeks of my life. I don't think you're alone there, Scott Gibbs. What a finish, what a match, what a tour. The Lions take an unassailable 2-0 lead in the series, and even though they lost the third at Ellis Park the following week, does anyone really remember it? There was a great push to do you know, whitewash the South Africans, but everybody was in bits. If you weren't in bits, you were still hungover, so you were in no state to play that third test, really. The Lions Tour of 1997 will go down in sporting folklore for so many reasons, not least because of the characters who turned it into such a rich story. High on the list, Doddy Weir. He left the tour injured, came back as a supporter. Legend states he missed most of that second test because he was drinking on the concourse. Anyway, that aside, Doddy's an amazing man and this series closes with episode 10, a My Name is Doddy special. This is a 94-19 production for Audi.